Rainbow Energy Reimagined Series, bringing diverse perspectives on the intersection between energy, technology, and tangata in Aotearoa. Brought to you by the Energy Academy. This podcast series showcases over 50 esteemed speakers navigating our four big LUMO themes. Energy and humanity, energy tomorrow, just transition, and energy's future story. Thank you to our partners, Orion, Genesis Energy, Araake, Energy Efficiency and Conservation Authority, also known as ECA, Christchurch New Zealand, Ministry of Social Development, and Ada Institute of Canterbury. Thank you to Orion, who is partnering with us on Just Transition. Kia ora koutou, and welcome back to the Lumo Energy Reimagined podcast series. I am lucky enough to be sitting here with uh, Nina Campbell, who is a Senior Policy and Engagement uh, advisor at ECA, the New Zealand Energy Efficiency and Conservation Authority, a crown agency developing and delivering clean energy programs to help New Zealand families and businesses reduce their carbon footprint. As a behavioural scientist, Nina leads on bringing people-centred perspectives to ECA's work, including community energy and energy hardship projects. Nina has worked in the energy sector for 12 years, both locally and internationally. Nina is passionate about the need to reframe the energy system around the ordinary people it exists to serve and believes that connected, empowered communities are the key to the speed and success of the sustainable energy transition. And also, uh, Georgie Ferrari, who is the CEO of Sustainability Trust, an environmental social enterprise based in Wellington CBD. Georgie has worked in the NGO world for the best part of the last three decades. For much of that time, Georgie's laser-like focus was on child and youth advocacy, women's rights, and health and housing advocacy across Australasia. After waking up one morning in late 2019 and realizing that the decade of urgent action on climate change was upon us, Georgie decided to concentrate all of her energy and laser-like focus in the environmental sector. She's found the perfect job to do just that. Kia ora. Welcome. Kia ora. Kia ora, Nick. Um, thank you, thank you for taking the time out of your uh, very, very busy schedules to be here with me. Um, before we get into our discussion about uh, just transition, the the hard topic of just transition, for those people or for the listeners out there that might not have any clue what just transition is, would um, would you both be able to just sort of um, give us a introduction to that from your perspective? Sure. Do you want to go first, Nina? Uh, yeah, sure. I'd be happy to. So um, I guess there's lots of ways you could interpret it, but essentially what we're talking about is the transition um, towards renewable energy and a renewable energy system um, in order essentially to reduce our, clim- our carbon emissions and reach our um, emissions reduction targets around the Par- Paris Climate Agreement, um, which is you know to keep our emissions below 1.5 degrees. Um, if possible, and to reach net zero by 2050. And the just part of the transition is really to make that transition in such a way that everybody comes along on the journey, everybody benefits, and nobody gets left behind. Yeah, absolutely. I guess I'd add to that that um, you know one of the things we say here at the Trust quite often is that um, just as um, we won't all feel climate change equally, we won't feel the you know we won't necessarily be able to um, transition. With on that le- level playing field as well. So, um, you know, if, if you're um, a, a middle class or upper income family living in a nice leafy suburb, uh, the impacts of climate change may not hit you right in the face as much. You're living in a nicely insulated home. You've, you know, you've got access to um, 
to to resources if, if something calamitous happens, a, a bad weather event, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So you're not going to feel necessarily those impacts immediately, uh, as much as somebody who's on a low income in a home that's not theirs, that they can't insulate or, or heat properly. Um, so that sort of the, as Nina said, the just element of that is how do we make sure that um, that transition is um, is is, is distributed as equally as it can be across those all, all populations. Yeah, that's right. Actually, I, I as well thinking about it that, you know, it's um, it's the impact of climate change. It's also the impact of of the changes we have to make to get there. And and um, there is going to be some challenges around. You know, if we're moving away from fossil fuels, there is a lot of jobs and um, economic input associated with those industries. So how do we shift that in a way that doesn't you know, create job losses, leave people without jobs or without income. Yeah, absolutely. I've got a board member who um, almost every board meeting will remind me that Māori and Pacifica people are overrepresented in fossil fuel industries. So when we transition, what are going to happen to the, what's going to happen to those jobs, and who's going to make sure that those people that have worked damn hard for a long time uh, aren't left behind and and find themselves unemployed. Um, you know, there's there's plans afoot right now to um, transition um, diesel mechanics and, and and internal combustion engine mechanics out of those professions if we if we are all driving electric cars in the future. So those sorts of thinking about all of the transitions that will take place with this huge te- technological change that's coming, um, and making sure no one's left behind in that in those spheres as well. Thank you, thank thank you, and for those listeners out there, I, I, I hope that you've got a. A, um, an overview of what we're going to be discussing um, now because straight into the first question which is a um, you know it impacts quite a lot of people um, what is energy poverty um, slash energy hardship I'm happy for I'll take this first Nina if you'll go for it <laughs> yeah <okay with> <laughs> we um we talk about energy hardship or it's also referred to now as energy well-being because obviously you want to move those people that are experiencing energy hardship into a energy well-being um, sort of framework. So it, it's considered to be um, so a combination of factors that come together to um, to mean that a household or, or an individual may uh, find it hard, you know, um, to meet their energy needs. And those com- the combination of those things are, um, you know, bad, bad housing stock, so um, poorly insulated, hard to heat homes, often ageing um, housing stock will give you that. Um, energy inefficient um, appliances, so you've got really things that are costly to heat the home, one bar heaters, fan heaters, etc. those sorts of things. Um, energy prices and the energy market that you are having to, um, you know, um, compete in or, or <laughs> get your energy from, um, and then also just household poverty. So those combination, the combination of all of those factors come together to create an energy hardship situation that through no fault of your own, you find yourself in, yeah. Nina, do you want to, have I missed anything there? Um, no, G- Georgie, I think you really um, hit it there, that those three kind of drivers I think about are, the inefficient homes, high energy prices, and low incomes is really where you get that um, the the problem arises the most. And I guess you know what I might add is sort of what that looks like in practice really varies. You know, every household um, that's experiencing energy hardship will be experiencing it differently and making different decisions about how to manage that. So, you know, some people might be reducing or constraining the amount of heating 
that they're using and how comfortable they actually are in their home because of the cost of, of being comfortable is just too high, whereas others will be um, paying that money to make sure the home's warm, especially if they've, got, if they've got young kids. You tend to see that families will invest that money to make sure the kids stay healthy, but then they'll be making sacrifices elsewhere. They call it the sort of the heat or eat dilemma where generally it's the food bills that suffer then. And so, you know, neither of those outcomes are good. Um, and they re- they tend to result in some pretty significant health effects. Um, you know, cold, damp, mouldy homes are really strongly linked with respiratory and heart problems, especially in young children and the elderly. So, you know, it's a, it's a big issue. It's a big issue. And I guess... Um, People tend to be interested in, in some of the numbers around this. So MB, the government's working on sort of figuring out exactly how many people are in energy hardship right now. Um, but the estimates at this stage are about one in five households. Um, I'd be interested to sort of hear from Georgie how this lines up with the experience at Sustainability Trust. Um, but about one in five households in New Zealand are, are spending more than twice the average or the median on their energy bill, which is you know one possible way of identifying who's in hardship. Um, there's also you know about six percent or 130,000 of households can't afford to keep their home warm in winter and are, are living in in mouldy homes. So it's a pretty significant problem in New Zealand. We're not the only country that experiences it, but um, it's a yeah, it's a it's a legacy of some sort of fairly poor housing stock that we've inherited from the pioneering days, um, that we're really working hard to solve. A question for for you, Nina. Uh, so, how much do we know about what people think, feel, and do around energy? And can you tell us um, about the work that you're doing at ECA to um, explore this and um, try and try and help the you know the the, the people in need? Yeah, it's a really good question because I think the um, the energy sector has traditionally come to these sorts of problems from a very technical perspective um, to look at you know energy hardship as a technical problem and, and offering technical solutions and often we forget to think about what the people in those um, in that situation in those homes are experiencing what it what it looks like and what the solutions you know perhaps beyond the technical sphere might be um, so I certainly advocate a real advocate for drawing on kind of other disciplines, social science, you know, psychology and um, getting into the lived experience of people to understand what, yeah, what they think and feel about energy, but in particular how to, how to get better outcomes for people. Um, so in terms of what we know, you know, I think, I think that knowledge is growing, although it has been, you know, lacking in the past. Um, but there are some really cool methods emerging around how to understand what people um, think about energy and how they use it to help us improve those solutions. We've got actually a, a really um, powerful methodology called energy cultures, which is something that came out of the um, University of Otago, a brilliant professor there, which helps us to think about how your sort of identity, your family environment, your culture might affect the way that you use energy. You know, are you, um, do you like your house warm or cold? You know, are, are you, are you um, are you bathing or showering? You know how many people live in your home? What's the typical kind of um, makeup of your household? And that's you know these are all things that vary massively by in terms of culture where you live as well. It's a massive factor. So um, having these frameworks to think about how people think and feel about energy are, are helping us to learn. But um, 
at ECA we are monitoring regularly. We're, for the last about three years, we've been running a, a regular monitor on the market around, when I say market, I mean across the New Zealand public around their thoughts and feelings about energy and climate change. So we're starting to learn a little bit. Um, for example, we know that about 83% of Kiwis believe that climate change is real, which is encouraging. That's been um, <laughs> growing over time. We'd like it to be higher, but um, that's actually a really strong number. And um, But the problem is that only about 45% actually believe it's the most important issue. Um, I sp- you know, maybe that's not a problem. You know, people are thinking about housing issues, health issues. They're worried about local pollution. You know, those are all really important issues. Um, but I think one thing that is quite interesting for this sort of um, energy hardship just transitions conversation is that a lot of people do know that they know some of the the things around what they can do in their home. Actually, we probably underestimate in the in the energy sector in the technical world how much people do understand about how to manage their energy costs and how to make savings. They know about most people have an idea about LED lights and how what massive cost savings you can get out of those for um, you know it's a little bit more expensive to buy up front, but they know about starting to hear about heat pumps. Um, but one thing that strikes me, very few people know about, think about, know about the link um, between their energy use and transport, the carbon emissions and transport. We tend to think about energy hardship and our impact on the environment in the home, but actually, you know, how you get to work, if it's in a car or a bus or on a bike, you know, and how far you have to come, all of those things matter. And actually in energy hardship, um, we don't often think about the cost of putting petrol in the car to get to work, but it's one of those things that people in poverty tend to um, struggle with more than others in the sense that, you know, tend to live further out from um, industrial centres or CBDs. So, you know, there's actually that element of energy hardship that we often forget. Mm. And they tend to often drive um, less fuel-efficient vehicles, older vehicles, yeah. It just occurred to me, sorry, Nick, that you actually asked... um, about well, I wanted to mention our um, the current study that we're doing. So I mentioned our, our sort of continuous monitoring of what New Zealanders think, but we're actually doing a um, an in-depth study right now at ECA on our um, warmer Kiwi um, warmer Kiwi Homes program, um, which is our program where we um, subsidise low-income families to get um, insulation and heat pumps installed, um, which is you know one of the really important ways and sustainability trust is, is delivering those those things for whānau and it's one of the most important ways to to get people warm at home um, and so we're doing a study to look at what exactly is the impact of that program not just in terms of the energy savings but what does it feel like in those homes um, how are they using their new heat pumps are they actually working for them um, to kind of capture the behavioural element of you know what people actually decide to do once they've got efficient technology makes a really big difference to you know whether it works for them and whether it, um, whether they actually get warmer um, and we're also going to be looking at at well-being so yeah how do they use it but then is it more comfortable and and what is improved comfort hoping that we do see so far we are seeing definite improvements in comfort what does that mean for the rest of um, across other areas of their life because we have seen evidence that having a warmer, drier home can support 
um, family cohesion and the ability to show up at work and the ability to perform at school. So that's some of the stuff that we're starting to um, measure through interviews with um, Fano who are participating in the Warmer Kiwi Homes program. So we're really excited to see the outcomes of that study at the end of the year. We do have an interim report that came out in January, um, which you can find on the internet. Um, yeah, but some of that trickier stuff around behaviour and wellbeing we'll, we'll get in December. Looking, looking forward to um, obviously hearing and seeing sort of the changes over, over a long period of time to hopefully um, change some of these the lives for uh, whānau um, out there that are um, going through these hardships. Um, for, for you, Georgie, um, what are you and the team here doing to um, you know, help, help whānau? Mm. So we've been, um, as Anna said, we've been a, um, a deliverer of the Warmer Kiwi Homes program since its inception. I think 2004 or five was the first year. Um, and that's given us real insight into um, the homes of low-income whānau families in the, in the Wellington region. Um, last year we were in 9,000 um, homes in the Wellington region. That's not all through the Kiwi Homes, Warmer Kiwi Homes program. Um, we do other, we have uh, many other programs including uh, Wellington Curtain Bank. We will put um, fresh, clean, lined, beautiful insulative curtains up in people's homes. We did 7,500 curtains last year. Um, and uh, we do another program that is linked through Ministry of Health. So if a, uh, a child or a young person presents with um, rheumatic fever to a DHB in our region, we'll get a referral um, and go into that home and look at what you know how, what we can do. Those interventions, um, the Warmer Kiwi Homes program is uh, aimed at um, low-income homeowners. Um, this program, the, um, the Well Homes program through Ministry of Health with the rheumatic fever um, connection representation is we mainly go into um, renters, obviously really low income uh, whānau and, and right across the Mosu aren't in homes they own, obviously, um, and we can't be putting heat pumps and insulation into landlords' homes because they should be doing it themselves and thankfully the Healthy Home Standards has really helped with that. Um, but we'll go into those homes and we'll often find um, overcrowding, we'll find uh, everybody piling into the living room on mattresses because that's the, you can afford to heat one room and one room only. Um, sometimes we'll find um, uh, lift a mattress and there'll be mould under the floor so that child is literally sleeping on a damp, cold mattress and inhaling potentially you know, really dangerous um, mould spores. Uh, broken windows, really common... Uh, houses without uh, front doors or back doors, some really, you know, some some really uh, awful living conditions that we would not want anybody to live in. Um, and so um, through the Well Homes program, we've got money that we can use to buy new bedding or um, get kids up off the ground from sleeping on the ground, new beds, uh, draft stopping, um, yeah, a whole range of uh, what we call interventions that aren't permanent so that the um, whānau can take them with them if they go to another rental. Um, and we'll also try and work with the landlord, whether it be kāinga ora, as often the landlord, sadly, or um, a private rental landlord to work with them to improve the quality of that house uh, in those environments for, for, those, um, for those families. Um, that work has given us huge insight into all the elements that combine to um, make a just, a just transition for low-income New Zealanders even more tricky. So 
Um, you know, when we know we're going to be phasing out gas supply, obviously we want to get away from fossil fuel um, gas supply, energy supply into people's homes. Um, these homes are going to be the very last that will ever look at electrifying their hot water systems or electrifying their um, their heating systems or even just swapping out the gas stove for an electric one. So, you know, there's, there's a whole lot of work that needs to be done um, to think about how when you've got your nice Karori homes, you know, and what you know that there'll be a suburb in every city that we can think of to substitute that in, or a, um, you know, where it's no problem for that family to go. Great, let's get rid of all our gas connections. Let's just go electricity all the way, and to you know to to put down thirty or forty k or whatever it might cost to swap everything out, no problem. Um, that's just not a right reality for either really low-income homeowners or renters whose landlords are not going to even consider doing that. So, you know, we, we work in a number of ways, um, both with the whānau, with the landlords, and also at the government level to sort of talk about, well, this transition is going to need support, you know, or, or there's going to have to be some kind of um, uh, relief given to families who are... Um, uh, you know, have real legacy issues from that sort of moving away from fossil fuels 20 or 30 years down the track who will be left behind. Um, and we'll see the same with that switching to electric vehicles. Nina mentioned transport before, of course, that's a really big contributor to New Zealand's um, carbon emissions. And it's quite fine and easy for, for me and others just to buy an electric car. But who's going to buy my petrol car? And then who's going to buy that car again in five years and ten years? And it's still going, it's going to have a long tail, that vehicle, well beyond, you know, the five years that I owned it or whatever. And, um, and it's going to be left to low-income families who will be experiencing higher and higher petrol costs and be the long tail of, of um, you know, fossil fuel users by just by virtue of not having that money up front to pay for an electric vehicle. And so where's the just transition in that and how do we, how do we look at those issues? Um, and, and another question for you, Georgie. Uh, why a not-for-profit energy retailer? Oh, yeah, so this is our exciting new project. Uh, we don't have a name for this company yet or this business. So we're a social enterprise, so um, we make money doing our business like installing insulation and heating into in the private market. Um, so we're just like another provider in that competitive private market. And with that money, we turn our minds to a whole lot of range of environmental activities and um, and programs across across the board in the Wellington region. And a couple of years back, before I even got here actually, Phil Squire, who is our previous chief executive, just became more and more alert to this idea of what what a fair energy system might look like. Um, and so he conceived of this brilliant idea to um, get some seed funding for a not-for-profit energy retailer. So uh, we'll be the only one in the country that's doing this. Uh, there's another mob up north um, called No Maira who are awesome, and we've been giving them lots of... Um, you know, support and um, cheering on from the sidelines. Um, their model's similar to ours, but they're not not-for-profit as ours will be. So um, the idea in our model is we'll have a mix of low-income um, people who need, you know, want to ha want to sign up and be supplied energy by us, electricity only, we're not doing gas, obviously. Um, and then we'll have a mix of, you know, high-income or middle-income earners who also support the co-papa, And the co-papa really is, you know, um, 
to get if you've been disconnected in the past or if you've had if you've got a bad credit rating and you've had trouble paying bills it's hard for you to get um, energy um, you know delivered and connected without having to jump through extra hoops so more credit checks perhaps go on prepay uh, a whole range of things so our um, our mission is we'll connect you we're not going to do any credit checks we, you come to us we'll support you that's very similar to what Nomida is doing as well um, if you're having trouble paying your bills we'll, we'll work with you we're not going to disconnect you we will not be sending you disconnection notices the number of disconnection notices that low-income whānau across this country are getting on a quarterly basis is phenomenal I don't have the figure in front of me um, but it's you know it's in the thousands and thousands, and I think of all those stressed households who are already under a lot of pressure, who are already making choices around heating or eating, as Nina has said, we're not going to be sending those bills, we're not going to be sending those threats, we'll be working with those families. They'll also get an energy assessment from us, a free um, in-house assessment where we go in and look at ways that they could be um, you know, using better appliances, um, draft stopping, insulating, etc. So we'll work with the family to do that. And um, and those higher middle class, middle income whānau that have joined the programme, joined the energy retailer as well, will have opportunities to contribute, to pay uh, some extra so that those low income whānau can be supported um, so we estimate about we'll be we'll be subsidising the electricity bills of the of the lower income uh, subscribers to the tune of about two hundred and fifty dollars a year. So it's not huge, but it's all the other support around it, and it's the lack of hoops to jump through to get signed up and have your electrons delivered by us. I, th I think you um, you said that it's not huge, but um, I, I had the chance to be able to have a. Um a talk accorded all with uh, Ezra from No My oh, yeah. as well. So yeah. um, we we had a very very similar um, conversation, mm. and you said it's not huge, but to those whānau, like that is um, you know that's that's massive mm. to them. Mm. Um, and then instead of having to focus on that, they can focus on something else, and, yeah. and really trying to have a better quality of life. Yeah. Um, yeah. So so Nina, Nina, what is what is the, we've spoken about, we've, we've addressed, um, you know, well, what the issue is. What is the, um, what is the government doing to um, address energy poverty? Yeah, thanks. And before I answer that, I would just like to say, Karawe to Georgia, it's such an exciting, um, such an exciting idea. And it's really great to see it moving forward. I um I am actually a customer of Nomida already, so so totally support that co-papa. I mean I know that the um the existing energy retailers a lot of them are thinking about how to sort of change some of the or improve some of the issues that are in the retail market. But it's really exciting to see these kinds of different business models coming through to sort of do the leapfrog over the challenges of a of a profit model. What is um what is government doing? Um. There is, so we've mentioned the Warmer Kiwi Homes Program, obviously, which is um, subsidising low-income families to get insulation and heating as a sort of really critical first steps to addressing energy hardship. 
um, and ECA delivers that. So, um, you know, that program's been running a long time and we hope it will continue to do so. There's still still some work to be done, although we've, we've insulated uh, many, many homes over the years. I should say the Ministry um, for Energy and Resources is currently really focused on the issue of energy hardship following the electricity pricing review, um, which sort of tasks the government to really to really focus on energy hardship, figure out a way to um, to tackle it more directly. So um, there's teams in the ministry which have been working on sort of developing a definition, actually, which seems very academic, but really what that's about is helping the government to identify who is in energy hardship and and design programs to really target those people who are most in need. So that work is, is pretty exciting. Um, and we're expecting to see some policy measures coming through probably later next year um, as a result of a, an expert panel that has been set up around energy hardship, bringing in um, some some key experts who are really expert on what it is, what energy hardship looks like in practice and what works for people. Um, and that panel working actually with a reference group of a, of a really broad range of people who are either in the kind of policy space around this or in the front line in organisations like Sustainability Trust working on the problem. Um, but together the panel and the reference group are going to be developing policies that, or, or recommendations for government to consider um, to put forward some policies that will really tackle energy hardship, sort of hopefully get a step change in the improvement that we've been chipping away at through programmes like Warmer Kiwi Homes over time. Um, and I guess the other, there's a couple of funds already out there as well though. There's the... Um, the fund for um, community, uh, sorry, support for energy education in communities, SEEK fund, um, which is supporting um, smaller scale initiatives, community based initiatives to get people out of energy hardship and um, give them the tools and skills um, to reduce their energy costs and, and get their energy needs met. And there's also a bit of work being done around supporting renewable energy on public and Māori housing. Um, so all of that stuff is sort of starting to, I guess we're, the government's probably in a learning space around this. Um, you know, we're, the activity is picking up fast and it's very much around trying things, um, funding people who are already doing the right stuff to do more of it and just sort of learn what works best and, and do more of that. So I'm, um, I'm optimistic that there's going to be a lot more action and... Um, and that, you know, we will move closer to well-being, as Georgie said, sort of away from energy hardship and towards energy well-being for, for a lot more New Zealand whānau. Um, and so what does, what does that uh, well-being, moving away from energy hardship, what does, or success, what does success look to each of you? It's a good question because um, uh, Phil here, who manages our fair energy um, programmes, which includes the start-up of this new energy company, he... Um, he often has to correct people when they say, you know, and their energy bills will go down. And he's like, well, actually, for some low-income whānau, their energy consumption will go up because they're making that choice of heating and eating. So, or, you know, so they actually are using less, fewer electrons than they should be. <laughs> they, we want to see them actually, you know, heat heat their homes more and heat their homes better. Um, so for us, it's it's that it's that no one will be in that terrible position of going. Mm, do I put the heater on? 
and set it to 18 or 19 degrees in, in my baby's bedroom or do I can I afford those nappies or can I afford that um, formula or you know so we don't we, we don't want Fano making that having to make those terrible choices being nervous when you go out to the letterbox because you're expecting a, a disconnection notice um, but more than that it's that actually when you um, when you drive past that new um, charging station that's being installed down the road that you know that one day you will be you will be driving a car that will be using that infrastructure um, because there's a lot of investment going to be going into that kind of you know infrastructure in the future and um, we want low-income families to know that they'll be able to access it and there may need to be um, subsidies to help with that transition and ways to look at how we can get um, you know get lower income families who would be prime targets for lower cost um, private vehicle ownership because you know they, they're the ones that can't afford the petrol costs um, so you know and we know I mean we talk about this quite a bit here there's going to be um, there's going to be whole government fleets of vehicles that are being purchased soon that will be electric and they get turned over relatively regularly there could be some kind of um, program where those vehicles get turned over and in order to be eligible to purchase one, you have to be under a certain income threshold and you can get to pay them back to government over a period of time. So we could have programs that actually um, not just encourage but actually facilitate uh, ownership of those vehicles going to low-income families. That is if we don't have models where we all move away from the private vehicle ownership and we move to um, collective ownership or we move um, people to thinking about um, other forms of transport, mass transport, active transport, etc. Mm. And and for yourself, Nina, what does uh, success look like? Yeah, I think it's, um, as Georgie said, it's about, you know, we want to see all New Zealand whānau living in warm, dry, happy homes um, and get there as fast as we can. I guess... Um, as an energy person, you know, I'm I'm thinking about um, every you know, energy and electricity uh, a human right that everybody should have equal access to, right? So that electricity should be affordable um, and accessible for everyone. That's that's where we want to get to. And I guess if we um, come back to that sort of transitions, the broader energy transition, just making sure that. Um, that those things remain affordable and that we're actually sort of giving people the skills to survive as the energy transition rolls out. So, you know, upskilling people on how to manage their energy needs, but also giving people new skills and um, training around how to pick up the jobs that will be coming through in the, in the low carbon future, you know, in the renewable energy sector and so on. And um, yeah, just making sure that we keep people at the center of what we're trying to do here, because ultimately, the energy system is for people. It's designed to serve, you know, to give people light and heat and hot water. You know, it's not about electrons or, um, you know, complex energy markets. It's really about the people. So, he tangata, he tangata, he tangata. Kia ora. Um, and so for, for any any people out there wanting to um, get involved with either of your co-papa, where can they... Where can they find you, Georgie? Or so? Yes, easy as for us. Just if you Google Sustainability Trust, you can, um, you'll can you land on our webpage and you'll see. I recommend reading the staff profiles. They're very funny. Um, but there's, yeah, there's a lot of information about um, who we are and what we do 
on our website. I happen to happen to read uh, your one about the, the ping pong table and oh, going yeah. to get the ping pong table out there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> had a good laugh. I at can that. get that after if you want. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and Nina, how can how can um, people get involved through um, eCare and really make a difference for some of these whānau out there? Yeah, well, um, you know, there's heaps of information on ECA's website about the programs that we offer and really encourage people to check in and see if they qualify for my Kiwi Homes um, and, you know, keep an eye out for other funds like that. Also, I've put in a plug for our um, Gen Less website, which is around communicating with the general public about what they can do in their daily life to reduce their emissions and get more out of energy. Our tagline is sort of live more with less energy. Um, and there's heaps of really interesting information on there about what you can do in your own life to, um, yeah, to reduce your energy demand and to, um, to save cost. So two websites there, actually, the Eco website and the um, Genless website. And, of course, contacting me directly as well would be, would be all good. Well, um, thank you very much. Um, uh, sorry. Um, for uh, talking about a, a very um, real subject that is um, you know, real for some of these whānau out there mm. um, that are going through it and um, to have uh, people like you, you two um, trying to tackle this idea, it gives me hope for um, some of those, some of the whānau out there. So mm. um, again, thank you for uh, giving me an hour of your time to be able to discuss uh, Just Transition and yeah, Thank you. Kia ora. Kia ora. Kia ora. That was a lot of fun. Keep an eye out for our other Lumo podcast, Exploring the Big Ideas Facing Energy. We have an esteemed lineup of speakers from across energy, tech, law, humanities, and more, challenging the status quo in service of positive energy future for Aotearoa. Go to energyacademy.co.nz forward slash Lumo for more, or check us out on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. <laughs>